Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Hi, my name is Patton Oswalt. And I feel anxious about being Conan O'Brien's friend. Hey there, welcome to another episode of Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend, because it's time a middle-aged white man had a podcast in America, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> Okay, enough is enough. <laughs> and I'm joined by my chuckling assistant, Sona Mosesian. How are you, Sona? Hi, Conan. I'm good. Yeah? Yeah. I'm excited about today's show. Matt Gorley, how are you? I'm a middle-aged man. <laughs> <laughs> yep, spoken like a true middle-aged white man. Thank you for speaking for us, by the way. Someone had to. Yeah. I, I don't like this. You don't like this? <laughs> no. Well, uh, you speak for, uh, Sona, you speak for uh, young women. Women, I, uh, empowered young women uh, who are, you are two-thirds Armenian, one-third Greek? How does it work? I am three-quarters Armenian, one-quarter Greek. Okay. And yeah, that's a very specific demographic, but I've got that on lock. Who live in Glendale, California. Yeah. yeah. Is that where your people are? Who are my people? What do you mean your You're, people? Your relatives. You can't say things like your people. I meant your relatives. Oh, your mother, relative? your father. No, my, my, people say to me all the time, how are your people? And I think like, oh yeah, my dad's doing oh, fine. Oh, I thought you meant Armenians and quarter Greeks. No. <laughs> Who goes around saying, hey, how are the Armenian quarter Greeks doing? Because that's what you were talking about. You were talking about our, our, you know, who we were. I'm hanging out with a bunch of quarter Greeks tonight. <laughs> Hey, kiss me. I'm quarter Greek. I don't like it. Hey, there's a quarter Greek parade tomorrow. What's all? You anyone want to go to the quarter Greek parade with me? You want to get some quarter Greek food? I would love some. Okay, it's just me let's and get my some brother. quarter uh, Greek yogurt, <laughs> and then uh, there's a quarter of a fruit at the bottom. Okay, I've had a small aneurysm. Uh, I'm being treated now. I don't want to waste time today. <laughs> Enough of your gibberish and your babbling. <laughs> I'm trying to keep this ship headed into port. You two are fooling around on the poop deck. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's get things straight. Uh, before, before we get to our guest, uh, who I really want to talk to, let me mention quickly, uh, if you like my travel shows, we got another one, Conan Without Borders Australia airs on Wednesday, April 17th at 10 o'clock p.m. on TBS. It's a good one. I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, more episodes of Conan Without Borders are streaming now on Netflix.com slash Conan. All right. The time has come 
and sitting with me today. I'm very happy. Uh, such a brilliantly funny man. Mr. Patton Oswald. Hey, Patton. Do you have any anxiety about uh, us being friends? Uh, the only anxiety is um, w- the that low-level anxiety that any comedian gets hanging out with another comedian where you don't want to walk away feeling like, oh, God, they don't think I'm funny or I just wasted an hour of their time. <laughs> it's uh, Wow. So you feel that. I always feel that. Because we've known I, each other for a long time. Yeah, but— but I don't, you know, when you hang out with, with your friends especially, you don't want to feel like you're the riff killer or the party <laughs> bummer sometimes. And there's right. some days when you're just off and you're hanging out and you're like, I just don't want to be the, the dead spot in the day. Have you, can you, I'm, I'm guessing you can remember right now moments when you were around some of your comedic heroes and you slightly misfired. Oh. You didn't quite have it and... <laughs> You what you a, think about it later on. It was there was I remember. Oh my god, this just leapt to mind. I was hanging out one day. It was me, a comedian named Tony Kameen, Brian Posehn, um, I think Blaine Capatch. We were driving up. We were in San Francisco, and we were in a car. So everyone just bing bing back and forth, just dinging riffs off of something. And I don't know what was going on, but my riff gun was jammed. And everything that I said, <laughs> there was a. A just three seconds of the most ass grinding silence, and then I became not only did I become aware of it, but then they became aware of it. So then, after a while, when I would say, and it just would not, it was not funny. And then at one point, somebody tried to laugh, which made it sound even more mocking and horrible. Oh, that's the worst. So then they went out of their way, really not to laugh, because then they didn't know what was going on. And it was, it got to be so bad that at one point I said something, and then there was another three seconds of silence, and then Tony Kimmy went. Eh, Patton cut a joke. <laughs> so exactly what had just happened. One of those times when it's just not clicking. I have, oh my God. I have an incredible memory for what didn't work. And this is much to the despair of my writers and anybody that's in my life. When things go well, and I've been fortunate enough that often things go well, mm-hmm. I have no memory of it. But when something doesn't go well, uh, I, 13 years later, a writer can pitch something and I'll say, oh yeah, like, uh, you know, Hindenburg's (laughs) mustard. And and it's referring to like a weird sketch from 13 years ago that that writer pitched and it didn't work. And they'll be like, what? What? (laughs) How do you remember Hindenburg's mustard? And I'll be like, well, (laughs) you had the uh, open and you had the middle, but the the blow to the scene didn't really work, did it? And they'll be like, you fuck. Yeah, and you can literally remember the day. It was Tuesday, uh, August 8th. Uh, we were in the writer's room. We had gotten Quiznos. Yeah. And, like, you remember for some reason that just – and especially I would imagine you in the writer's rooms that you've been in. Yes. In between – especially The Simpsons, I've heard, can be a very harsh, unforgiving writer's room when somebody pitches something and it just dies because yeah. everyone's trying to operate at a slightly higher level. I and would it, say it was uh, – ri- uh, of all the writer's rooms, the Simpsons had the most intense collection in one room of very, very high-octane writers. That was intimidating. Mm -hmm. I mean, every single writer in that room was an all-star. And I remember showing up there and being very intimidated. But in terms of um, actual fear, I think Saturday Night Live. I think Saturday Night Live. Because uh, it is... 
people are vying. There's a competition. There's there's very few slots to get sketches on. And there's only, oh, you know, boy. 20 episodes a year. And people are very aware, did I get something on this week? Did I not get something on this week? And you can smell it in the air. There's like a primal fear. And, uh, oh my God, it's a comedy writer's version of the movie, The Favorite. Yeah. <laughs> you are all trying to vie for not only Lauren's approval, but whoever the guest star is that week. Right. And then, but then that dynamic is, is, and then it always though. ends, it ends with, uh, me servicing Lauren, uh, <laughs> and, and this shot that stays on Lauren's face for a long time where yeah. he's looking off into the mid distance and you're not quite sure <laughs> who's serving who. Who is serving who. And all, but also it's got a shift because some weeks, your your guest host is Tom Hanks where you're like okay let's give this guy the Glenn Gary leads and then there's another week if the host is Steven Seagal where you're like well maybe let's not give him the best <laughs> stuff that I have because it's just going to get crowned but up but it's or, also just uh, you know this is reminding me I'm having a flashback oh a, sorry a PTSD flashback too the host of the show was legendary uh <laughs> You know, sometimes, yes, you get your Tom Hanks, you get your Steve Martin, you get your Robin Williams. We'd have Mm -hmm. all these people on where it was just an absolute joy. Yes. And then it was, uh, the host was George Steinbrenner, the uh, cranky (laughs) oligarch who owned the Yankees. And he was, uh, I want to say at the time, 74 years old and this angry guy that only ate red meat and yelled at people and was constantly firing everybody and having feuds. He was the person, I remembered, we didn't have a monologue for him that week. And so Lorne, I was remembering, I was reminiscing recently, I think with John Mulaney about this, who of course was probably five at the time, but I was, <laughs> uh, he, 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 I was telling him about it. And was on his second season writing on the show. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was writing for the show in utero. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, uh, but I remember there was some idea that wasn't even our idea, someone, but there was a, a monologue and it was getting to be like Friday and there was no monologue for George Steinbrenner. Mm-hmm. And... Someone had pitched him an idea and he had rejected it. And Lauren said to Bob Odenkirk and I, just just go back and just pitch that again to, to George Steinbrenner. Just go in and pitch it to him. And we were sort of nervous. And we said, yeah, but he he he, yeah. uh, he told us that he, he doesn't like that idea. And he said, well, you know, just go back and just, you know, finesse it. And just, he'll like it this time. You'll see. <laughs> so we went downstairs and Odenkirk and I are kids. We're in our 20s. Mm-hmm. And we go in and we walk in the room. We're like, oh, Mr. Steinbrenner. Hi. And he's, he has his, and then he turns around. He wheels on us. And he's got this, I remember he had a giant, World Series ring on his hand oh, that boy. weighed more than my head weighs. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he looked at us, and uh, he was like, well, what is it, guys? And we were like, well, the monologue. Remember the idea where you come out? He was like, yeah, I heard that idea already. And we were like, well, we just... We just, I said no! I said no! God damn it! I said no! Get the fuck out of here! And Odin and Kirk and I, our genitals, his genitals went up into my body, and my genitals went up into Odin Kirk's body, and we both turned to liquid and slithered under the door wow. and decided let's never be in comedy again. Yeah. This is, yeah. But to get, and then by a, yelled at by a guy who professionally. Knew how to like. Yeah, oh, you're off my team. He knew how to crush a spirit forever. 
Yeah, and you w- both went to the Gap, got applications <laughs> that day. Okay, then let me ask you something, because I remember very distinctly in that episode, the George Steinbrenner one, I didn't know that- Which I won't remember. I only, oh, well, remember, as I, I only remember negatives, okay, but go ahead. Well, no, but they got him to do a sketch- like some kind of slim fast commercial, and it's him and Pol Pot and some other horrible, horrible dictator talking about weight loss. And that, so, I who was the writer that got that idea through to him? He probably didn't know who Pol Pot oh, was. Uh, okay, there you go. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's how it got through. They probably, yeah, they may have said to him, "He's a Pol Pot." You're like, no, he's a he's an infielder for the uh, Cuban <laughs> yeah. Indians. All right, oh, let's just let's just do it. I gotta get the hell out of here. <laughs> I've got to get more red meat into my colon. <laughs> were, were you there? Were you writing when Charlton Heston hosted? I don't think so. No. Okay. I don't because he so. was a delight as a host. Like he totally took the piss out of himself. And oh, many times people would come. I mean that that that's, and you'd be shocked at how cool they were. Yeah, and um, I would say one of my favorite things, and I, this may be the same for you, is meeting legends and uh, and. People that you grew up, here's my rule. If I grew up seeing them on television or in the movies, they will always be a god to me. Yeah. And there's this phenomenon where you and I get to meet really talented people who are yeah. our age. Right. Who are our age. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or younger. And mm-hmm. we're like, wow, I have a lot of respect for that person. But we don't go into a swoon when we see them. Right. I'm very happy and uh, delighted to meet all these young people mm-hmm. or even people who are my peers who I think are extremely talented. Right. But I'm not in awe. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And oh, I yeah. think there's this weird thing about I can meet, when, you know, when I met Don Knotts. And wow. I was, and, and, and uh, he was uh, a guest on my show. And it's Don Knotts. And I remembered sitting in a high chair watching, yeah. uh, you know, the Mayberry show, the Andy Griffith show, and Don Knotts as Barney Fife. And I thought, I can't think of anybody yeah. who I'd be more excited to see than Don Knotts. And that would mean more than to me than, say, as, as much as I admire President Obama, mm-hmm. I'd be more excited yeah. about— Don Knotts, because I grew up seeing him. Exactly, yeah. There is that weird, the generation before you, when you see them walking among you, it does feel like you're having a visitation from some otherworldly being in some yep. ways. When you meet someone, you're like, oh my God, that was that person right there. What I mean, Don Knotts was, uh, John Larroquette famously told the Night Court people, I think he won like three or three or four Emmys in a row, whatever it was, and he was about to tie or beat Don Knotts' record, and John Larroquette told the Night Court people, do not submit me next year. No one should win more Emmys than Don Knotts. Yeah. Like, he wouldn't allow it. That's cool. Which is kind of, wow, okay. Or he put that story out after he lost. After he lost, yeah. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think That's he was what lying. I would do. <laughs> I would try and get it, not get it, and then say, I I instructed my people to, yeah, I don't know how my name got in there, but I made sure the voters didn't go for me. It's weird because I, I work with Paula Pell, who mm-hmm. I'm such a huge fan of. She was, she's on my show AP Bio and uh, she wrote on SNL for years. Of course, Did yeah. you guys overlap? Yes. Well, I uh, would be, I was around Saturday Night Live, but when I was, the years I was doing the late night show, mm-hmm. um, I I hosted once SNL, but I was around, so I knew Paula Pell. Right. And uh, I'm a fan. And she told me some really fascinating stories about, and I won't repeat the names because they're more contemporary, about 
hosts they had that were insane disappointments that kind of got like never again is this person coming back like, like and I was kind of like oh my god some people that I didn't expect to be terrible hosts were terrible hosts right and she goes that's always a bummer when someone comes in and you were so excited about their work and they are just not on their they just don't get the show or they're they think they're a disruptor man and it it gets really bad it gets really bad yeah. really fast she you can told tell me some you really can tell the fir- you can tell the first night when uh, there's a tradition where we all sit on the floor of Lauren's office and and I think this is I'm sure that I, I don't think this has changed at all I don't think anything's uh-huh. changed uh, probably since 1975 but we all sit on the floor of Lauren's office and and uh, people come in uh, the host comes in and sits in a chair Lauren's behind his desk the host is sitting in the chair and the rest of us are either on couches or on the floor mm-hmm. and we all pitch to the host uh-huh. that's usually the mood setter for the week oh that's when you can you tell. can tell right there wow that uh wow angela merkel is not gonna be fun <laughs> <laughs> she's not gonna be fun she just wants she wants the wigs and fake teeth that's yeah that's kind of all she that's wants all she wants and oh dear she doesn't want to do our uh yeah sketch about but then how does it work with someone because then there again there are the tom hanks the steve martins the alec baldwins and i think you can almost put Put um, John Hamm and maybe Emma Stone is, and, and Melissa McCarthy definitely. Yep. Where it's like those are just givens. We're gonna pl- even if they have nothing to plug, let's put them in because they will be amazing. Yep. And so we can all relax. Like, yes. do, do you guys stock, but, stockpile good stuff for the really amazing hosts sometimes? Or uh, I'm gonna say maybe some people did. I never did. I always felt I, I, it was sort of a desperation. Right. Like, I just gotta <laughs> this week. I didn't feel like I had. Uh, I didn't have the self-confidence to, this is really good, but I'm going to hold back this. Right, right. This is an A-side single, but I'm going to hold it back. I just, if I had something yeah. good, I was trying to get it on. Um, one of the things that, uh, and then we'll move off Saturday Night Live, because sure. we should talk about you at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one of the things that I always found really interesting is, yes, uh, the the Steve Martins and the Tom Hanks, and they're an absolute joy, but... The flip side of that is that they're so versatile that to come up with something really great for them is a challenge. One of the things oh. that's really interesting, one of the things that's really interesting is that. that I always thought sometimes the jock who would come on, like for example, Wayne Gretzky, I remember Wayne Gretzky came on and you could put him in anything and if he was if a jock, if a great athlete or a politician who's out of there, who doesn't isn't doesn't have a, a, any acting ability yeah. at all. If their game suddenly it's f- hilarious, exactly, it's really hilarious. If they're if they're saying, "Hey, I'm going to go for it," they can be fantastic because they're not showing you this their tour de force, uh, you know, multifaceted abilities. Right, You're, they're just being. Oh my god, it's really funny to see, yeah, um, you know, Wayne Gretzky or. Brett Favre or someone, just give it a shot. It's fun. Yeah, there, who's the guy? Eli Manning was a, was shockingly a really funny host. Like, mm-hmm. genuinely nailed every sketch he was in. Oh, he was great. Knows what you know he's You know what's doing. funny? If this was a sports uh, chat <laughs> radio show, yeah. you'd never go, who's the guy? Yeah, Eli Manning. Eli. You can tell it's two comedy nerds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, there was that one guy. Uh, the guy with the, uh, who throws the, the – Michael Jordan with the basketball. <laughs> well, I remember um, – when Obama was running against John McCain in 2008, and I knew the moment that I knew 
I mean, I didn't know Obama would win, but I knew that John McCain felt like he was going to lose. Was and this just as a comedian when I was watching the Alfred A. Smith dinner? Those are the ones yep. where they both come out, they roast each other, and Obama came out and was funny, but not great because he was like, if I fuck up one line here, I could blow this. I could blow this. Right. And McCain went up and was so loose and so hilarious that as a comedian, like, he must be looking at some numbers and, and knows, well, I'm not going to win this. I'll just do say whatever the fuck I want. Because he was so good and you never have better sets as a comedian when there's nothing at stake. Right. You know, I remember um, one of the best sets I ever had was when I was at the Punchline and they were auditioning. They were doing another round a star search and um I was told by my manager like they've already passed on you they want like these four people but they need people to pat out so so that everyone else in the show was like gotta get on star search and do my five minutes and because I'm like hey they're not fucking looking at me so I just did whatever I wanted and had such a great six I'm like how could I I wish I could hire a hypnotist to recreate that mindset in my head before every show of like well it doesn't matter and then I would just go out and annihilate the reason I have a late night show is because <laughs> there was an audition and I went to it thinking there was absolutely no way yep. I'm going to be yeah. David Letterman's replacement. They're going to pick Gary Shandling or some. Maybe there's a chance if I did well, I'd get a 5.30 in the morning, you know, uh, you know. well, uh, here's the cattle report. Yeah, exactly. Uh, here's the crop report. Uh, yeah. But I, so, I was so loose that after I was done with it, I scared myself. <laughs> oh, like, thought, where did that come from? Oh, God. Shit. What have I just done? No, do they want they me? might actually, I might have to do this. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it, it truly is true that there, and there's a lot of stories about people nailing auditions, getting iconic movie roles because they just didn't, that was their, I mean, the, the famous story about Ghostbusters was Bill Murray did Ghostbusters so that Paramount or whatever studio was doing Ghostbusters would do Razor's Edge. Razor's Edge. Yep. So when he was doing the movie Ghostbusters, he's acting like, I could give a shit about this, which is his character. Right. And it's why he's so brilliant in the movie. Because he's like, "I this is all stupid. I'm just a couple of takes and I'm going home. So that sometimes that attitude can really, really help in the right circumstances. It just nails it. Yeah, I, I, I do think it's uh, one of the things that helps with, in comedy, I don't know if, I'm, I'm sure you'll feel the same way, so you don't even have to agree. I'm just going to put you down as agreeing <laughs> yes, with me. Um, but there's something about doing thousands of hours of comedy, <laughs> which both of us have done, mm-hmm. where you get to a point where you've done it so much that when it's not going well, you don't feel like there's a knife at your throat. Yes. And because you don't feel like there's a knife at your throat, you can almost enjoy that, yeah, this is this is interesting. Yeah. This isn't really going that well. And then you get silly, and then you find stuff. You never tighten up. You get— you, Well, the, the one thing that—and I've always said this is we've had nights. I'm sure you've had episodes of your show. I've had many nights on stage where you walk off and go, oh, my God, did I just eat the biggest turd. <laughs> and then you wake up the next morning, and, oh, world's still spinning. It didn't, like— wasn't the end of the world. And, then and that, the, tur- and then, the turd had some nutrients. And then it ended up having some nutrients. <laughs> it wasn't like, fully digested, all the food. cleared my skin. <laughs> um, but, uh, and, and then that gets you over that fear. And then you, in the, and that intro to that SCTV box set that I remember buying, and you wrote that intro and you said, this is the least needy comedy I've ever seen. I've always remembered that phrase. The, the best comedy is not needy. Yes. It's not desperately trying to get people to like 
it. And that's why always the, the best it, comedies are that way. It is, uh, you, you could always tell, there was a kind of TV, uh, I'm older than you, but I grew up, uh, my, my TV era was mid to late 70s. Mm-hmm. And that's when I'm watching TV. And a lot of the comedy was very needy. Yes. Meaning there's only three networks and mm-hmm. all the comedy is, I hope you like it. And, and I, like us, we're good people. We're good people. We're all nice people here. Yes. And that is was this uh, comedic uh, mindset. And then I think it was one of the things that was really um, so revolutionary about the times we found ourselves in, especially in the cable world, where people were making shows where it's, this is my dream. This is what I want to yes. make. And you can like this or you can fuck off. <laughs> it doesn't really, it's not that important. I'd like to be able to do more of these. Right. Uh, and, and so I've always been attracted to, uh, you know, SCTV had that kind of feeling of this is what we're doing. Monty yeah. Python. Yes. Or, you know, I think one of the things that was so revolutionary about Monty Python is they're doing this. And they had no idea if anybody liked it. And exactly. I've talked to people like Eric Idle, and they're like, we didn't know. We were no. just making it and cranking out for the BBC and mm-hmm. not getting paid much. And we didn't get much feedback. And then they came to America a couple of years later and realized they were gods. Yeah, it like gods. It was like the Beatles. It was, yeah. it was people were shouting their phrases. Like People were shouting phrases that they, they did not know were catchphrases. Like, oh, that was a catch. Oh, okay, I, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yep. Which Eric Idle, very famously said, is one of the worst script, one of the worst sketches ever on paper. It looks like gobbledygook. Right. And it can, and, and it only worked when he, he and, um, um, Terry Jones actually acted it out in front of the other and then went, oh, okay, this is great. But it was one of those, you've got to let us just shoot this and this will work. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must-listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Ashley's Memorial Day sale is going on now. Shop our biggest selection of hot buys, cool deals, or shop limited-time savings on new summer spaces. Plus, get 72-month special financing on select in-store mattress purchases made with your Ashley Advantage Synchrony credit card between May 14th and June 3rd. Whether you're redecorating indoors or rethinking your outdoor space, save big on this season's trending styles. Only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. No minimum purchase required. See store for details. I remember I got booked at a club <laughs> called, and this is a real club, it was a real club, Sir Laughs a Lot <laughs> in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <laughs> Named after a real uh, night an actual, of the round yeah. table. Yeah. Very, very obscure night. That, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and in the middle of my set, and it was getting nothing, this, and I never forgot this, this very, very well-dressed, distinguished-looking, older African-American man stood up. And said, "Where are the where are the jokes in this?" 
He just, and he wasn't yelling it. He just went, where are the jokes in this? And the whole crowd's like silent. And I went, <clears throat> well, I'm, I'm getting to them. He goes like, he goes, I think you really, really like doing this. Like, this is something that you seem to have a passion for, but I don't know if you have a talent for this. Oh, and, oh, and, and a lot of people have passion. Was it, was it Morgan Freeman? That, okay, that's the thing. This was during this time. that would time. be intimidating. Yeah, well, but this happened. Remember that period when there were all the, they, um, I think Chris Rock called it the Magic Negro movies, yeah. where there was a, a black character that would help a white character, like mm-hmm. guide them spiritually. Yep. So this is like the height of movies like Legend of Bagger Vance, yeah. And you know, all and and Morgan Freeman and everything, and it was just like was. And I, I remember after, and and by the way, as he's saying all this, no, no one in the crowd's going, "Hey, sit down." They're all like, "Yeah, maybe listen to this guy." <laughs> yeah, and then it's I almost remember, like there's a, a halo behind. It his was, head. Yeah, yeah, it was weird. And then I remember going up in my room, like, "Was that my bagger Vance? Am I not supposed <laughs> to be doing like?" Because he was so articulate and he made such a good argument. I'm like, "Oh dear God." I remember that in the in the world of late night, and so many people come and go, but they're you know you see sometimes people get into late night, and you'll even read interviews where they'll say, mm-hmm. "Well, I'm going to do this for a little bit because I'm going to take a break from the the movie career, and then I'm going to mm-hmm. or 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 if this works, this is going to launch me into the yep. action movie career. It's going to launch me into this or launch me into that." And I remember we were doing some really weird sketches and and uh, in on television and getting a paycheck and thinking, why would, I can't leave this. Yeah. This is the only thing, it's not ever gonna get better than this. No. Uh, you, you know, it's, uh, I might, first of all, and, and I wanna make it clear, no one was ever interested in putting me in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Nor should they be. So it's not like I was turning down any offers, but I remember it occasionally someone would say like, well, do you ever think you'd wanna, you know, maybe you could do a buddy movie. Like, why? Yeah. Why would I? No, I want to. Because be- a, I will not work with as good a writers as I have around me right now. And what what comes directly out of our head, we get to execute. We can execute whatever we conceive. Yes. And it's even more fun because we have such a limited budget. We have to think of really creative ways to pull it off. Yeah. Which makes it even more fun. Yeah, I mean, all that stuff. Why would you? That's the that's the dream if you're a comedian. Well, I mean, you know, it's funny. We did a thing uh, this will air uh, a couple of, probably a couple of days after this uh, sketch aired. But mm-hmm. we do a sketch where this very talented writer we have um, named uh, Andre Dubachet. Oh my God, and, and he's, I love him. And he's in the audience and um, he's uh, dressed up as one of the Game of Thrones characters. And he, I think that he's there because he loves Game of Thrones mm-hmm. and and, he, and uh, he talks like a Game of Thrones. But then it turns out, no, he just really loves the show Wahlburgers. Uh, and I'm like, what? And he's like, yes, Clan Wahlberg making hamburgers and arguing in Boston. And... But the sketch gets even stupider. That's the beginning of the sketch. Yeah, that's he, what I love. But, but then he has interns, and his interns are falcons. Uh, you know, like falcons <laughs> that come in to deliver information to me about the, what's coming up on Wahlburgers. But the thing that I love the most is that we just have stagehands with falcons on sticks. With, oh, yeah, but exactly. But at the end, at the end, he says, let us flee. And he l- runs up the, uh, the, the stairwell of the audience, and he's followed. I was always tell the director, stay wide so that we can see the stagehands running after him with long fishing poles, with birds hanging off of them. And I want you to stay on it until the yes. last union stagehand has made his way running up the aisle with the fish pole. And I thought, 
if I had was smart and was looking after uh, my finances, I would have gotten myself into a world of comedy where we animate the Falcons. Oh, yeah, exactly. And all this kind of like, no, it's never going to get better no, than Union Stage. It's the funniest running, thing. Running up the stairs with fish poles. Oh, my God. I remember um, you, you would do these sketches. There was one sketch. I, I've never forgotten this when John Glazer played the house replacement host of the show, that guy Blaine, mm -hmm. and you got sick and he was like, he'd been waiting for something to go wrong, yeah. and it's his time and he has to go, our next guest he keeps saying goose, and he's so but, <laughs> and it so went nervous, on for yeah. so long, and what was weird was the sketch ended up not working, not because it wasn't funny, but because John Glazer was so kind of emotional and, and pathetic as a character that the audience genuinely started rooting for him and got <laughs> bummed when it wasn't working out for him. They're like, come on, Blaine. He's like, BT, it's BT, it's Blaine time. Come on, Blaine time, we can do it. Come on, man. And the audience, it, it, it was like the the sketch failed because it worked too well. Well, it's, which the, other, I just thought it's the other problem with, it's one of the other problem with, <laughs> someone said recently is it's, oh, audiences are just, they're caring too much yeah. sometimes. And I thought, that's true. True. Sometimes you're in front of an audience and you'll and I'll say something self-deprecating. I'll be like, yeah, well, you know, I've got the thin lips and the beady eyes and the crowd will be like, no, yeah. no, you're good looking. We like you. And you think, oh, oh, this is fucked. Wait, I just want to wear No, no, don't be sad. Yeah. We're here for you, Conan. But that's good. Again, com comedy, sometimes when you're doing the really brilliant anti-comedy, it can work against you, but for a very beautiful reason reason. Yes. Because the it, crowd is rooting yes. for you. That's good. You but know? That's, uh, that's, being, that's called being screwed by the <laughs> fundamental decency of mankind. <laughs> yes, it really is. Yes. Uh, uh, I am very passionately want to talk to you about something uh, that um, there are a lot of comedians that complain as part of their comedy. Mm -hmm. And I think what sets you apart is you complain about things that are so specific. <laughs> That and and so specific to you, but you describe them. Your language in in your imagery is so exact that you get everybody on your side. Complaining about something that's completely, you know. Yeah, uh, I mean, I would. I think that comes from. I remember I I, w I had a group of friends around me in, in high school and then in college that they were all always very very funny and very. Um, <clears throat> good at a thing that I love hearing about is friends of mine who have had really shitty and ridiculous jobs. And when they, when they're really good at describing all of the different personality dynamics in the workplace that they have to go into all the little in jokes and all the, even the, the, though you don't work in that office or in that record store, you get a sense of the place and it makes the story really, really fascinating. And, and there's that thing of like, Oh, I almost want to work there now. Like it sounds, mm -hmm. I mean, I know I'm sure day to day it's shitty, but the stories this person's getting out of it makes it very, fascinating to me because it also makes you think that oh how many how many bad times have I had in my life that I could have made more tolerable if I had been funny about it or looked at it from that angle so you know a lot of when I'm complaining about something what I'm doing is I'm trying to cope try to cope with how annoying or or soul crushing it is by finding a humorous angle because uh, you know it's the phrase if you if you can mock it you can manage it right so the, a lot of the things that bother me I'm also like but there is something kind of delightful about this remember when you said you wanted uh, porn email spammers to use spell check. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
That's I, like, that's such a great crusade. Yeah. And, I want porn email spammers <laughs> to use spell check. Because I would, there was that time where I was getting all of this, you know, I was getting spam for everything. There was that time when everyone was getting spam, yeah. put your spam blockers. But in, if, and for some reason, like the, the, the spam for like, you know, get a vacation house or get, you know, was old. But for some reason, the porn spam was always misspelled. Yeah. And like, aggressively misspelled to the point where you're affecting, this is hurting the effectiveness of the email because I have to, I shouldn't have to translate like cock or titties. You, like, don't make me wait because then, then all the thrill is out of it. Yes. If, you know, if you spell it wrong. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's like. Nothing kills an <laughs> erection faster than, yeah. than incorrect spelling. Yeah, wait, you want to sock my click? Oh, oh, I see what they, oh, okay. They, oh, all right. Yes. I, okay. I, I get it, yeah. All right, yeah. She wants my. <laughs> it's just like, wait a minute, she what? She wants my proc? Yeah. She wants my pens and her that? But, oh, wait. Okay. Oh, oh. The, okay. Okay, I got the it. The H is near the W. I see what they did. Okay. Like, don't write. Are you, are you being chased while you're writing your porn spam? Like, what is. Then you want to send this before they kill me? Then you want to contact them and just about the spelling. I There were times, and I could. I, a friend of mine said, don't, because if you respond, then you get like 80 more. But part of me wanted to go, look, I feel like this is a bot, but if there is a person there, it's very easy to spell check these words and they're kind of <laughs> crucial if you want someone to get turned on by this stuff. I don't, I, again, I don't want to be the guy because I, I feel like if I, like if I worked at the porn spammer, wherever the, 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 uh, the bot farm is where they're sending these out, I'd be the guy going, now guys, but this is called the e, e being, you know, white and strunk and whites elements of style. We're going to, it's a thin book. You can read it in 10 minutes. It's so worth it. All right. Right. Let's it's, really not. <laughs> this is <laughs> it's not it's not hard to make a good first impression okay so let's just but it was yeah I mean that really did startle me that there was all this misspellings and porn spam I don't know why that was it just drove me crazy That's, and then uh, I I kind of had a, a, a weird crusade going on early on in Twitter and and then my, my wife was like you're, you're, you sound like you're you're nuts but I don't know what it is whenever I'm in a Starbucks and I go over to that you know the fixins area where there's sugar and the cream yep. and stuff and it's always a fucking mess it looks like a, there was like a, a sailor brawl near the thing like <laughs> how do you make all people are doing is Arr, you knocked yeah, me creamer down boom bam but it's like just destroyed and I'm like you're opening a coffee you're opening one packet and dumping how are you making it yep. it's almost like someone's going out of their way to make it messy and I always clean it up and I was like I was turning it I said I was turning into like Rorschach like one day the Starbucks people will look up at me and go we need the condiment area cleaned and I'll look down and whisper no you had your chance like I don't and, and I obsessively clean these places up I'm like what is going on like it made me despair for humanity because it's the easy easiest thing to keep clean and they can't do it if they can't do that no we're never gonna have a mars colony if you can't if you can't open a packet of stevia and put it in your coffee and then put the packet away without getting stevia everywhere then no way is there gonna be a mars colony it drove me crazy what if there is a mars colony but it's just the outside of the colony is just littered with <laughs> 
We ma- it's it's we are managed. We can get a lot of things right, but we will never clean up our coffee preparation. We will never not litter. Like that's our problem. That's going to be the thing that uh, brings us down. I mean, I got really like I kind of went over the top with it a bit. Like I was I was posting a lot of pictures of, and I would always say which Starbucks I was in. Like what the hell, people? And then, but then I checked out Tom Hanks's Instagram. Have you ever follow him on Instagram? Yep. He's obsessed with finding one glove on the ground. Yes. Like, I've why is there this, one yeah. glove? And it's kind of beautiful. Like that is a thing. Why would you leave? How would you not know that you'd lost a glove? It's uh, <laughs> and you know it's interesting when you look at uh, Tom Hanks's these his Instagram and he has these shots of one glove. There's something. It's eerie. It is. It's eerie, and it's also sad, and you feel like there's a story behind yeah. what happened here. Why is this one glove here? And now right. he thinks that some people are setting him up. He's found a couple really? where he feels like people have planted a glove. Uh, oh. We're back in OJ territory, but uh, <laughs> he feels like people have planted, like seen him go, go into a you know Chipotle or a Quiznos <laughs> and, then they go and out planted of their way a to... glove, and he's, oh. he's a little suspicious because sometimes it looks a little too neat and tidy. I, there was a time I, I stopped bothering him because we did a movie together, so we email every now and then. And I, whenever I'm watching, because he and I are, he's way more obsessed than I am, but he really loves manual typewriters. I'm sure he's yes, talked to you about yes. that. And I love him too, not to the level that he is like, he is a, he's the Trekkie equivalent of a manual typewriter fan. Like yep. he literally knows every make and model. And I'll be watching some old movie on TCM and there'll be, and I'll take a picture of like a typewriter and I can, I'll email him that page and he'll immediately go, oh yeah, that's a, uh, that was an early Olivetti That's comment. Exactly. It was, and it was yeah. like, oh my God, it's really amazing what he can do with the, typewriters. Uh, you, I know you're a foodie. He needs, to do, he needs to do a CSI Law & Order type show where all the crimes hinge on typewriters and he's the guy that can... You know, that's how they used to. Most crime, not most crimes, but a lot of crimes used to be solved because they would match the typewriter to... Oh, and, and went, went like one letter is too low. So yes. That's, yeah, so yeah. So this, this Smith Corona drops the L. That's right. When it's a capital, but not when it's lowercase. So the murderer is Bruno Houtman. <laughs> You know, but now jagged edge, right? That was the that was the whole thing. thing. Yeah. Jagged yeah. edge. But now they've had to t- advances in technology are ruining crime movies. Mm-hmm. You know, and because uh, there's so much now where yeah. you know it's so great to match it up to a typewriter, or someone's got to go hide the typewriter in a marsh. Yeah. But now it all revolves around mm, cell phone <laughs> records. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have the data from the cell towers. Although, what was great? There was <laughs> a golden age, and we've lost it. There was a golden age of really, really right at the at the dawn of the internet and social media and and using computers. There were crime TV shows and movies that did just did not understand how any of that worked mm-hmm. and would do these weird um, cracked.com did a whole article about these moments there was one moment on NCIS where they're trying to like hack something and then the guy's on the keyboard and then someone else gets on the keyboard with him like two guys typing will be faster <laughs> and then I swear to God it was the weirdest we were like that's not how the internet works you weirdos and then there was a great one where it was there was like a um, it was an episode of NCIS I think there was another episode of CSI where there someone again I don't there was some kind of one of those weird uh, second life chat rooms where you log on and there's there's a there's an avatar that walks around and talks to different people. So they they know that the murder victim was 
doing this and, and chatted with this other person in this world. So they create an avatar and then they go into the world and they walk up to the guy, the other guy's avatar, and then he runs away. So they chase him <laughs> through the thing where anyone watching is like, well, he would just, wouldn't he just log off? Like, why yeah, would he no. run? Where the fuck is he going to go? They can just, like, but it was what the fuck. You know what that is? That's called some, that's called some people in their 50s. That, exactly. We're, we're, that's we're exactly like, hey. right. And, and, and someone gave them a note and said, you know, we need this to involve the internet. And they're like, got it. We're on it. We got it. But and we then still they did need some, a chase. We still need a yeah. chase. Don't yeah. worry. We I can chase. What are they called? Well, hey, kid. What? Uh, that'd be an avatar. Yeah, the avatar tries to get away. But we chase it. Uh, but the avatar leaves a footprint, and then we take an impression. Oh, uh, that doesn't really work. Shut up, kid. We got what we need, and we get to go home now. It's that Andy Kindler bit about the sitcoms in the 80s where the, the three-year-old sounded suspiciously like a 51-year-old comedy writer. They're going, what am I, the Lindbergh baby? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I always, you can tell, like, you can, you, you can tell there was a time in, in, in the 60s. Oh. You can look at 60s TV shows. Yes. And 60s TV shows, and all the writers on 60s TV shows are these great predominantly Jewish joke writers oh, yeah. uh, and gag writers who had worked in radio and they yes. had been around since in the radio days uh, writing radio comedy for like Burns and Allen right. uh, you know and and uh, or whoever and they now it's 30 years later and they're writing gags yeah. for TV shows like F Troop or I Dream of Genie or whatever mm -hmm. and the Beatles blow up and you could tell that there was this sort of mandate like hey Everybody, <laughs> these kooky kids with the hair, the Beatles or the, the bugs or whatever they're called. We got to get that kind of stuff into our show. Get some of those guys on our show. And yep. these shows had no idea. Right. These writers had no idea. So they would just, they just would invent these awful bands. Yeah. And they would call them like, here they are. Yeah, the, the, the Rugrats or the, you <laughs> yeah. know, the Scrubbly Dubblies. <laughs> and, and, and they would just get four British guys and have them go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's awful. And they thought, ah, yeah. the kids will like this just as much. <laughs> yeah, we got to get them to tune in. Doesn't matter. Get them to tune in. I think there's an episode of F Troop, which is a show that takes place in the 1870s. Wow. On a cavalry where they, I think they got like a real rock group to stop by <laughs> like, with like electric guitars. Show <laughs> like, okay. what? what? How did that work? Well, I mean, in, in Disney's The Jungle Book, there's the four birds that are clearly the Beatles yeah. that were going to have the Beatles. In the last minute, they decided against it. But Disney was like, get the Beatles in this thing. You know, get them. They'll do it. Yeah, <laughs> he'll do it. And yeah, yeah, there are those four points that are like, well, I don't know what it, we're going to do. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's fun being a bird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. So uh, I know you're a big foodie. And one of the oh, things boy. I've always wanted to talk to you about is cereal, because <laughs> yeah. one of my passions in life, one of my passions in life uh, has was always junk cereal. Yes. And then I hit this point in my life. I mean, I love junk cereal and I'm a connoisseur of junk Me cereal. Me too. Still love it, but I can't have it anymore. Exactly. We're not allowed have to have it, no. it anymore. And you hit this point where my cereal now, there's no sex life in my cereal no. anymore. And it used to be, I mean, I as a grown man have been caught 
because I was jonesing, you know, in, in my 30s and yeah. 40s. Me, yes. Leaving a uh, leaving a bodega, and, and they give you those bags sometimes that are too clear, and you can yep. see I have Fruity Pebbles in there. Oh, yeah, man. And it's the most embarrassing. I mean, I'd rather be caught with pornography yes. than, yeah. as a grown man, be caught with Fruity Pebbles yeah. or uh, Count Chocula. Or, yeah, or the... Um, um, Oh God! The toucan Sam Fruit Loops. Oh, Fruit Loops. Yeah, is just oh, fruit. Yeah, fruit. You okay? Pebbles. I'm getting to get a doctor in here. It is sad how my breakfast cereal used to be Saturday morning cartoons, and now it's. British period drama. Like it really got very <laughs> gloomy and the box is white. It, it's just, yeah, it, it really is. I mean, just, it, it, yeah, you can really tell the passage of time. They really nail it. You, cause, cause, cause breakfast cereals are, when you're a little kid, it's bright colors, it's a crazed mascot. Mm-hmm. It's words like sugar and pow and cri- and then the back of the box there's games puzzles word finds mazes um, you know giveaways and then uh, you know help sugar bat get to his insulin or whatever like there's some horrible <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and now it's yeah it's, it's it's this like white box with a beige bowl and brown cereal and her name like sorghum farms <laughs> sorghum farms amaranth flakes and the back of every one of my cereal boxes there's a story about how they formed the company this mm-hmm. long and it's you can you can literally hear the the like the the James Taylor song behind it as they're you know going at, at sorghum farms we believe in three simple things <laughs> farm to table eating locally sourced ingredients and give them back to the earth three times that we take away. <laughs> the idea for Sorghum Farms happened in line at a fish concert in 1991. We were both wondering aloud, how come we can't make our gorp tastier? <laughs> and that's when we both looked at each other and said, Jinx, I owe you a kombucha. And, and it just goes on and on and on. And they always brag about these weird, um, I talked about this, they, they, they have biblical grains. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, we were talking about this Ancient the other day. grains, yes, yeah. yeah. That, so there's all these weird, and it's like gluten-free, non-GMO, and it, it, it I, I don't know, I, I don't know. Obviously, yeah, you want to eat healthier, but there's something very performative about it where it's almost like they're designing these boxes or even worse yet now, the cereal comes in the, we don't want to waste a lot of cardboard on the box. There's going to be in this little like Ziploc bag thing that's made, they're all in little bags now. So so it almost like, it looks like it's designed to look good on a... um, on a shelf in a like a Z Gallery catalog or something, it's all very earth tones. Yes, and, yeah, and it doesn't turn the milk a different color. No, it doesn't the do milk, it. No, it uh, the milk just. Although, are you drink? Are you even drinking milk these days? Because I'm drinking almond milk. Me too. I don't get to drink milk anymore. No, they told me I don't know if milk's a good idea. Yeah, I. Oh my god, I was told this in the yeah maybe uh, let's lay off the milk. Yeah, now. and I wait a minute. Go back but why, to the same why was thing. I eating that from the get go? Then why did you ever give it to me? <laughs> yeah, well, that's true of. That's my, my argument is always everyone who signed the Declaration of Independence, <laughs> everybody, a lot of them, yeah, some of them kicked early, but a lot of them lived into their 90s. I know. And they didn't have any of the supplements. They Nothing. didn't get their colons tested nope. with, uh, with drones. They, there was none no. of that. No. And, uh, and I always look at Ben Franklin, and, and I think, hey, Ben Franklin, he lived a really long time, and I yeah. think he just— did what he was going to do. And uh, yeah. had he had Fruit Loops, he would have lived to 150. I feel like he would have, yeah. Yeah, the, the inventor of the Twinkie lived to be like 98. Uh-huh. Didn't he eat a Twinkie a day or something? 
Nothing wrong with that, man. Nothing wrong with the Twinkie. Yeah, but it is weird. Like, and again, I don't want to. I've always been been worried about. I don't want to be the because there were a lot of comedians I remember coming up with that. I don't want to be the older comedian going hazelnut non-fat latte. What about a cup of coffee? Like, I don't want to be the guy that's always angry at whatever now the I'm new writing thing that is. Down. <laughs> that's a good bit. <laughs> What's the matter with yeah. a cup of Joe? How, why can't a phone just be a phone? I'm like, all right, you know, th- st- stuff changes. I it's do not like that when crazy. A comedian is complaining about something that's actually a great innovation. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I know. Like, wait, what? Why are you bitching about that? <laughs> yeah, I don't understand. Yeah. Why is this? So now there's high image resonance tech. <laughs> it, you know, MRIs that can show me a tumor long before it kills me? What happened to just good old-fashioned dying? Yeah. What happened to your knee feeling funny when it rained? Yeah. That's how we used to diagnose cancer. <laughs> but now they stop yeah. it early and you live. <laughs> All right, well, Patton, we are, uh, that is our time. Oh, you know, man. we got to stop this thing. This is one of those podcasts that goes on for six hours. Let's we- wait a few months and I'll just come back on and we'll just keep talking. No, no, no. You know what? Cool. Uh, I would love that. Yeah. That would be a treat. Um, and in the meantime, I would love it if we went to a restaurant, a really nice restaurant. Yes. And, and had a great meal that is worthy of us, but then finished it off with Frankenberry. Oh. Uh, Patton, you've always been so sweet to me. Thank you very much for coming in. Oh, You're thanks, a, man. You're uh, hilarious, hilarious fellow and a, uh, and a good man. You are oh. a very good man. In the words of Flannery O'Connor, a good man <laughs> is, is hard to find. Oh, oh my God, my arm fell off. <laughs> God bless you, sir. Thank you. Hey, guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former Presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must-listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. It's time for another round of uh, True or False with mm-hmm. Sona. Mm-hmm. My trusty assistant. I don't know what I mean by trusty, to be honest with you. Trusty, you say it a lot, and I'm just yeah. gonna. I'll, trusty I'll take usually it. means you're 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 trustworthy. I do think you're a trustworthy person. Yes. I think you're a moral, ethical person. I am. But I don't trust you to do the things I ask you to do. Okay. So that's different. That's. But that's that, not your fault. That is an awful. <laughs> no, thing it's not. I don't for for you to say to me. Would you trust you? If you were me, if you were me, if I was you, yes. And you had been through all the experiences I've been with you and I told you to do something. Would, uh, would you trust Sona to do it? Uh, yes. Liar. I'm just going to say L- yes. Liar. Liar. You, you know I what you're doing? You, you know what you're doing is that you're making it impossible for me to ever get another job. And I, uh, resent you for that a little bit. I don't if, think, I don't think you ever want another job. <laughs> yeah. I, I like this job. Yeah. Unless a unless job. a job opened up at Disneyland. Oh, I'd take that. Where you were, if you were working, if your job was managing a restaurant at Disneyland where they served alcohol, 
Yeah. And you got to do all the rides for free and cut to the front of the line. I think you would take that job. Take it. I used to work at Disneyland. Oh, wait a minute. did? Oh, Gourley raises his well-trimmed, bearded face. What's up, pal? Hey, how's it going, man? Uh, (laughs) Don't come at me. Don't you dare come at me. So you worked at Disneyland. I did. Among many other things, I was a talking trash can. (laughs) You know what? That was going to be my first guess. <laughs> no, no. What do you mean a talking trash can? There was a thing called push the talking trash can, which was like, look like a normal metal trash can, you know, with the push flap. The, yep. Like, yep. But it was a state of the art, like $30,000 robot. And I would hide in a crowd among everybody else with a, my arm in a bag and a secret microphone in my hand. And I could control this trash can and talk to people as if it was the trash can moving around and talking to people. So you were like a ventriloquist, but your dummy... Was a robot trash can. Yeah, and that's classing it up a little. <laughs> and did you enjoy this job? That's hard to say. It was a, it was a good job for the place I was in in my life because it was a union job and <laughs> it paid is, really well. This is six months ago. Yeah, this is right before this. <laughs> you know what would have been great is if you were doing it and you had had a breakdown and really lost it on that job. And so you, as the trash can, just went off on the crowd. I, ha- I, I This I did. place sucks. I, I balled a... A person's a parent out for letting their kid kick the trash can. Oh, what did you do? You well, yelled. It also, it? keep in mind, it pitches your voice up, so it sounds like this little, cute little trash can going. Why don't you control your kids? Why don't you do something about your kids? So you were yelling at parents. I would, and then I would go bump other trash cans and say, "Sheila, don't divorce me," and things like that. <laughs> And wow. I would get in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> what does a little bit of trouble mean at Disney? Disney World? You don't have to do much to get in a little bit of trouble at Disney. They're, right, because they're pretty buttoned down. Yeah, yeah. Right. Anyway, I digress. I apologize. So I, it's funny. I didn't know what you were going to say when you said you had worked at uh, yeah. Disneyland. I thought you might have been in the Hall of Presidents. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, you could have been like a young, lean Garfield. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. He gets shot. Mm. <laughs> in the back. Is the that a threat? No. Okay. No. Right. I'm not going to shoot you in a train station. I'm not Charles Guiteau. Oh, my, oh my assassin. God. Didn't he have like a cigarette case that stopped the bullet or a Bible or something? No. Now you're confusing him with President uh, Theodore Roosevelt, who was running for re-election. He wasn't oh, president at the time of the Bull Moose Party. What have I done? Party. Oh, Sona, you want to He was getting a speech and someone tried to shoot him it. and let's uh, start. Hey, let's his, go to uh, his yeah, Bible let's stopped the bullet. As opposed to Garfield, who was president. President oh, at the God. time Jeez, and was uh, shot. He was, a, of course, accompanied by, hey, oh, fun fact, God. he was yeah. accompanied by Abraham Lincoln's son. Wow. That oh. is a yeah. fun fact. Uh, he was accompanied, uh, Abe Lincoln's son was walking, who was now a, a grown uh, man, was walking, Robert Lincoln was, was walking uh, Garfield through the train station in Washington when Charles Guiteau, a disappointed office seeker fired uh, a bullet into Garfield's back and cried, uh, now Arthur is president. Mm. This, this is, is why I, I can't sleep at night. Yeah. It's also why I was single. This is why I can sleep at night. <laughs> <laughs> Caught me. You guys go on. Don't leave me behind. I'm no, sorry. No, I like this. I was just owned by a talking trash can. <laughs> He just owned me. Okay, Sona, let's get to it. Well, I guess we ran out of time. Nope, we didn't. True or false? Right. There's a store called Front Runner. It is uh, in Brentwood, California. Yeah. They sell running supplies. 
They do. Yeah, sneakers and shorts and things that one needs when one runs. I run these days, of course. Okay. Can't just get a body like this. Um, oh my God. Nor would you want to. But I went to Front Runners and they, I'm a hard person to fit because I'm a very tall man. Uh-huh. Uh huh. An Adonis, if you will. And I, <laughs> oh my God. I have very long legs and they had some sweats there at Front Runner. By the way, Front Runner, wonderful store. They, they said, we don't have those, but we'll put them on hold for you. And I gave them your number. Okay. And then never heard from them or from you that the this stuff was ready from front runner so it's really uh. funny a couple of days ago i am waiting to eat with my family at a sushi place and it's one of those really good sushi places where you gotta wait that's fine they don't care about celebrity and i wish they did <laughs> but anyway i'm waiting out like everyone else just a regular citizen waiting for my sushi and i'm sitting out front there's a little bench and there's a parking lot and the front runner is literally about uh i want to say 100 yards away in the same little strip mall area uh-huh and this guy comes up to me, as people do, and he says, oh, hi, Conan. I just wanted to say hi. And I go, oh, hi, how are you? And I think he's just going to do the standard, you know, whatever. I And, and, I, and, he, and he said, I, I really, I'm a fan of the show. And he said, I really love the podcast. I love the podcast. And I said, oh, well, thanks a lot. I, I appreciate that. And he said, yeah, I don't know if you remember this. Um, uh, you came into the store. His name's Caesar. Remember that? Okay. And he said, my name's Caesar. And I said, I remember you, Caesar. And he said, yeah, you came into the store and you, you tried to get some, uh, some sweats, but we didn't have them. So I said, I put them on order and gave me Sona's number. And uh, then they came in and I called and I couldn't get Sona. Oh. But then I, called, I left a message for her, but she never called me back. And he said, yeah. but I didn't get mad because I listened to the podcast and I know she doesn't really get back to people. <laughs> He said that. He said, I listen to the podcast, so I know she's cool, but I know she also doesn't really get back to people, so I just wanted yes, to know. Yes, I do. And she said, <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> I'm just telling you what happened. He told this to me. Caesar, you're a liar. Where? No. Yes. Caesar's he, a good man. Don't no, he's put a this, liar. I love Caesar. Caesar, you're a liar. No, no. Caesar's a good guy. Do not go after Caesar. Well, I love Caesar. What? Caesar's a great guy, and if you should be mad at anyone... You should find a mirror. <laughs> oh, God. I, I wasn't mad or anything. I just thought it was funny that he's now listening to the podcast. Right. And he's got this look into our relationship. And then he sees me sitting outside a sushi place. And he's like, oh, yeah, those sweatpants. I called Sona, but I know from the podcast, like, it's weird. All these lot are You've ruined my life. Or, That's what this is. Or you've ruined, ruined it. Ruined it. Or just made it somewhat worse. No, <laughs> you've absolutely ruined I have not. my life. I have not. If someone at a store is coming to you and I was and is like, I ordered your pants, but you're dumb, stupid, incompetent assistant. No, he loves you. He doesn't think you're dumb. He knows that. He thinks, I don't you, do my job. No, you don't care so much about sweatpants. You have your priorities in line. You care more about the trees and birds and what? No, no. This is the thing that you're doing to me that is ruining my life. Ruining your life. First of all, how can you say that when the reason you met your husband, who I think is the coolest guy I've ever he met, he is the coolest. Comic-Con. You were there at Comic-Con. Conan O'Brien. Why are you shows. bringing this up? Because you know that I have no response to this. But yes. my point is. I am the reason you're happily married. And so if in exchange for that, the gift of a life of lifelong bliss with the greatest guy I've ever met is that you take a little bit of shit from Caesar at Front Runner. <laughs> I think it evens out. It's just... Mr. Gorley, how do you come in on this one? You're, you're sort of a Supreme Court justice here. Am I? Oh, well, I'm sort of Kennedy just swinging right and left. I don't know what to say here. Um, 
did you, do you remember getting a message from Caesar? Can, can I be? A, I I don't remember that message, but I I do get a lot of calls that people are like, "Hey, Conan was in the store and he needed this, and it's in." And I feel like I tell you, but if it is a message, I can see me not telling you. Yeah, that's it's not a big so, deal. I have a ruling. I am inclined to believe Sona, so I'd like to see some evidence from Caesar that, thank the, you. that he did try, in fact, to contact her. So yeah, we'll where's see. the proof? Yeah. Also, Gourley, guess what? I know I go to this restaurant a lot, so I think Caesar's going to be waiting for me. <laughs> <laughs> and Caesar, if you're out there, you're he is he actually is. I want to make it very clear. Very cool guy. I'm sure. I like him a lot, and uh, he's he's a good man. He's kicking ass over at Front Runner. He's a good man. Mm-hmm. And if he can find sweats that cover these legs, okay. Jesus. <laughs> Matt, if I applied for a job and you were on the hiring committee and you listened to all the podcasts and watched the remotes, would you would you hire me? Yes. Oh, okay. What yes, if the because- job required her to be, you know, present and <laughs> <God>. <laughs> <laughs> I would not hire like, you to be an eye surgeon. You were dealing with extenuating circumstances at your prior job. Ah, thank you. So you're saying he was is the problem and makes me look good because I tolerate that on a daily basis, even though he is probably the, the worst guy. Well, stop saying that. People are going to believe you. I am not the worst. You're guy. not the worst guy. I, I didn't. I don't mean that. I'm saying it as a joke. But I'm also not as bad as you say I am. You are not. You okay. are not. But it is. But uh, I just. Uh, I've said it before. I love you. Sona and we're we're pals we're besties for we're life practically family we're practically family uh if I fought with you just a little more you would be family <laughs> but I want to see these sweatpants because I'm also picturing that they're extra long so someone is like sewed in about six extra inches of a band of a different color on each leg or yeah, something they're just uh they're, they're franken pants yeah. probably the real thing is why can't you just have a normal body <laughs> Okay, I don't like where this went at all. I do have a somewhat of a disproportionate body. Very, very long legs. Uh, ladies, if you're listening, and fellas. Yeah, when I wear short shorts, that's a frightening thing. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. lot of calls from stores that are like those extra long pants that we uh, never carry in store. Right. They, it's, always, in. it's always like, uh, <laughs> we were holding him for Conan, but Jeff Goldblum got him. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, Jeff Goldblum and I have the same body, and it's just always, <laughs> whenever I go there, they're like, no, no, we, we have a pair on hold for Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Can I have him? Nope. Goldblum. <laughs> he's, he's a movie actor. He's a bigger deal than you. Okay. Well, I'm sorry, Caesar. Yep. The chance chances are I I am the one who ignored Please. him. Yes, I'm glad that you that when you went after Caesar, that I was not gonna have. I'm sorry. I'm I am sorry more I loyal that. to Caesar who I've talked to for five minutes than I am to Sonam of Six. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you say that about Caesar. That's great. That makes me feel good. Well, I win again. Over and out. Oh God. <laughs> Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend with Sonam Obsessian and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco and Chris Bannon and Colin Anderson at Earwolf. Special thanks to Jack White for the theme song. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and the show is engineered by Will Beckton. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. 
This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. Hey guys, Sean Hayes here. Jason Bateman, Will Arnett, and I had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to sit down with not one, not two, but three presidents of the United States on our recent episode of Smartless. That's because President Biden, a returning guest, brought two of his favorite pals, former presidents Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, all joined us for unforgettable conversation. It's a historic episode of Smartless as we pry into the minds of these remarkable leaders. We'll cover everything from their time in office, America's responsibilities in the world, and their personal passions in an episode full of some candid stories, insightful perspectives, and a few surprises along the way. Whether you're a political junkie or just curious about the inner workings of the Oval Office, this episode is a must-listen. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to hear from three of the most influential figures in recent American history. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.